Thanks for tuning in to the Health Scientist Podcast. I'm your host, Richie Kerwin, and today I'm going to be speaking with Maeve Hannon. Maeve is a registered dietitian with a background in clinical nutrition, having worked in the NHS as a general dietitian, a stroke specialist dietitian, and even a pediatric specialist dietitian. Uh, she's also an experienced health writer, writing for such sites as The Food Medic. Maeve's also the founder of Dietetically Speaking, a nutrition communication and consultancy company which promotes accessible, no-nonsense messages about nutrition, something you'll see Maeve is very passionate about. And it's that passion for good, practical information that made me want to speak with Maeve today, as unfortunately, in today's world, we're exposed to a lot of misinformation about nutrition, and it's getting progressively more difficult to know what and who we should listen to. Maeve offers her thoughts on that issue and how nutrition professionals can get their message heard and how that can really help to promote long-term health and healthy relationships with food for the general population. I really hope you enjoy this episode and even learn something from it because I know I certainly did. And if you do, I'd love it if you left a rating or a review on iTunes or whatever podcast app you use. Or if you're listening on YouTube, consider hitting the like button and subscribing for even more great podcasts. And if you can, please share the podcast on Facebook or Instagram, Twitter, or even LinkedIn. Not only do I massively appreciate it, but it helps to promote the podcast to other people, which really encourages other guests to come and speak. And that means I can get even more great content out to you. So, on to this conversation with Maeve. Let's talk science. Maeve, how are you? I'm good, thanks. How are you? I'm very good. Thanks for joining me tonight. Um, I'm absolutely delighted to have you on. Um, and I suppose just to, to start us all off, um, would you be able to give us a bit of an introduction, please? Yeah, thanks a for having me on. Delighted to be here. So my name's Maeve. I'm a registered dietitian and I run the page Dietetically Speaking and dietetically-speaking.com. So I'm a registered dietitian from Ireland. I have a background in the NHS. So I worked clinically as a dietitian, as a general dietitian, a stroke specialist dietitian and a pediatric dietitian in the NHS. And then I went traveling. So I became a freelance dietitian um, and I started to do a bit more consultancy, health writing, and seeing clients online. And then I came back to Ireland to cover maternity leave for Orla Walsh, dietitian. Um, and then since she's been back from her maternity leave, I've been gradually starting to do more and more bits online again. And then with the whole lockdown situation, um, I'm fully online again. And um, just a little bit around dietetically speaking, I started that about five years ago and I was just really frustrated about all the nutrition nonsense I was seeing online, on the media, and it was just this place for me to rant, basically. So I had the blog and the Facebook to begin with and then expanded over to Instagram and Twitter and everything. Um, and it's kind of just grown since then. So it started off as this kind of hobby. Um, I, the first time really that I thought about doing it was I used to go to these um, Skeptics in the Pub events and they were doing an open mic and I was like, okay, perfect. I'll just get up and talk about, you know, how fad diets annoy me and let's talk about nutritional science. Um, and then, yeah, that just kind of became this hobby that then became my career, really. Um, I remember the first time that we met and you told me about those skeptic groups and I still haven't checked them out in Liverpool. But to be fair, okay, we did pretty much go into lockdown like a couple of weeks after we met. So um, I'm, I'm sure you'll, you'll forgive me on that. I'll let you off that one, but they have a podcast you should listen to. <sighs> I, 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 okay, send that on to me as well, okay? I've, I've got a lot of stuff that I need to do in the, in the, the lockdown time. Um, so just out of curiosity, what, 
do you, do you specialize in any particular type of dietetics right now? At the moment, um, it's more general to be honest, but I am working towards specializing in disordered eating. Um, it's an area that I just find really interesting, really rewarding when I'm working with clients in that area. Um, and I've been doing kind of more research and training into intuitive eating as well. It's another area I find really interesting. Um, so that's the direction I'm going in right now. Um, and then I've just recently started up this new venture called Nutrimote, and that's about working online. So another kind of interest related to dietetics of mine is working remotely as a dietitian because it's a space that it's quite a new area. Obviously, all of a sudden, a lot of people have had to just suddenly work remotely. It was expanding anyway, uh, but I feel like it's an area that, you know, we could do with more opportunities and more resources and things. So me and my partner started up Nutrimote a few months ago. Fantastic. And, and we're going to get into that neutral mode a little bit, um, a little bit more detail later on. But just out of curiosity, what is it about the whole field of, let's say, um, eating disorders, disordered eating uh, and intuitive eating what, that has kind of attracted you to it and kind of made you want to, to get more involved in it and work in that field? Um, so... Yeah, as I said, I find it really rewarding because, well, one of my main interests as to why I got into nutrition and why I became a dietitian was the psychology around food as well. Um, because I was originally, when I was like, okay, what am I going to do with my life? I was like, will I be a teacher? Will I do something related to nutrition? Or will I do psychology? And then when I heard about a dietitian, I was kind of like, oh, that's kind of a pretty good blend of all three. Um, so, yes, yeah, so I like that it incorporates more of the psychology side of things. Um and I think it's something that I think it's something I suppose with, you know, people kind of contact me in relation to because a lot of my followers and things are young women and a lot of young women to some degree have been impacted by disordered eating. And obviously it's not exclusive to women and it's increasing in men as well. Um, but I just it's something I just find so rewarding when somebody gets that freedom with food, when it's, you know, the, it's been this negative force in their life that's had so much control. Um, and then if I can help them to take a step away from that and to view food in a more positive light as well. Um, and it kind of ties in with all the like the nutritional nonsense and debunking side of things because there's so many myths. And again, if you can demystify nutrition, um, I just feel like it really increases kind of health and happiness for people. So that's why I really find that interesting and rewarding. I, I think it's it's a fantastic um, field to to look into, and it's fantastic that there are more training opportunities for people like dietitians to to improve their skill set um, for when they're dealing with with individuals suffering from conditions like that. Because uh, a lot of people, when you know, when we talk about nutrition, people automatically think um, you know food, what you put into your mouth. But there's a huge amount um, to the psychology behind um, how people eat. And you know what would you know what would cause somebody to have a poor relationship with food? So it's fantastic to to see that you know you kind of want to work um, in that uh, area. Um, move, kind of moving on to to another thing that you, you mentioned was your your kind of involvement with the the skeptics um, groups and how you're going to use that as a, a platform um, to to speak about fat diets. What are your overall thoughts, and this is a very, very general question, what are your overall thoughts on, let's say, social media and nutrition slash diet information as it stands at the moment? And I know that's a very, very difficult one because it is very, very broad. But yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a really good question, though. And I, 
I feel like it's very similar to when I think of nutrition and the internet in general. It's this double-edged sword where we have such fantastic information and resources at our fingertips, but then, you know, in one sense, everyone's an expert because everyone eats and a lot of people then put themselves forward as a nutrition expert. And if they don't actually have that understanding of nutritional science, then it can be really dangerous. And I guess if we see, you know, where most people are, we are saturated with those kind of people who, you know, are maybe influencers, celebrities, that kind of thing, um, that maybe promote in certain ways of eating, or maybe even other health professionals that don't have training in nutrition that promote certain ways of eating as well. And that's where it's really tricky for the general public because somebody can come across and seem like they know what they're doing for lots of different reasons. And, you know, it might just be that we like somebody, so we kind of want to believe their message. Um, and that's where people can easily be led down this dangerous path. And even again, if we bring it back to the relationship with food side of things, for some people, even just seeing lots of pictures of, you know, ideal kind of body types or lots of pictures of food, those kind of things can be really triggering. Um, so for some people, especially if they have issues with disordered eating or an eating disorder, you know, they actually may need to take a, like a break completely from social media just to get away from all of that. In some cases, it's enough to kind of clean up your feed and make sure you're following people who are reputable, who know what they're talking about. Um, so, yes, it's all really about who you follow. And there are some fantastic people out there to follow. But for most people, it can take a little bit of kind of, you know, fixing your feed and doing a call now and then so that it's actually reliable. reliable there's, nothing, you know. there, there's nothing like a good old Insta call. Um, uh, but see, that, that's, a, that's an issue that a lot of people come to me with. And, and I think it's a, it's a very, very um, legitimate issue in that people are, people will follow, you know, lots and lots of different people because of like the, the, the content they put out on nutrition. But nobody, or at least people in the general population, don't know if the information that they're putting out is correct. And that, that means they don't know who to follow exactly. You know, they, like, you know, you, we can say ourselves, make sure you're following the right people. And this is going to seem, seem like a difficult question as well, but from your perspective, how do you kind of go about judging? And like, I know it's much easier for you as a trained dietitian, you've got the background, you have the understanding, but what would you say to people to, uh, to kind of help them with some of that, um, you know, judging somebody based on the content that they're putting out? Yeah, so I have this Nutribolics detection kit, basically, that I talk people through. So it's this like three-step approach so that you have this radar so you can detect Nutribolics. Um, and basically, the first step is looking at the person themselves and looking at qualifications. So, of course, even if somebody is, you know, really well qualified or, you know, myself or yourself, you know, we could still say something that isn't evidence-based. Um, so it's not enough just to be qualified, but it is a good starting point for people because it means people are more likely to know what they're talking about and to be spreading evidence based messages. So I do think it's the first thing to look at. So does somebody have a degree in nutrition from a reputable university? Um, if they're a registered dietitian, then that's a legally protected title. And, you know, registered dietitians have to stay up to date with the evidence base, have to act ethically and can be struck off as a dietitian if they don't. And um, similarly, if they're if somebody's registered with the Association for Nutrition, you know, they have similar standards as well. Um, so basically, yeah, looking at what the degree is or if someone you know, has a has a PhD or a master's in nutritional science, those kind of things. So they'd be all obviously plus points to see whether this person is reliable. And the second thing to think about would be what are the messages they're spreading and are there any nutritional red flags? 
So a red flag really would be anything that seems unscientific, too good to be true, just a bit mad. Anything that kind of, you know, just seems, okay, something's not right here. Um, and, you know, if they're promoting cutting out loads of food groups, eating like non-foods like charcoal or cotton wool, um, if they're promoting loads of supplements, um, you know, things like that, it's just, if it kind of starts to seem like there's maybe something going on here, um, then that'll be a red flag to think about. And then the last thing is thinking about the actual evidence itself. And this is the most important step, but also the most challenging step especially if somebody doesn't have a background in nutrition themselves. Um, so it's thinking about the types of messages they're spreading and then sometimes even looking at the studies that they're talking about um, and seeing, you know, have they been done in labs or in animals or in humans? You know, was it a big study, a small study? If it's bigger, then it often has more reliable results in terms of statistics. Um, you know, again, what was the type of study? Um, and then, you know, what are the limitations and things? So, so that is the most important thing, but I appreciate that not everybody who doesn't have a background in nutrition, you know, may not want to go to those lengths. Um, so there's some really useful resources. So looking at like NHS behind the headlines, that's a good one. So if there's, you know, quite sensationalist headlines, they have a food section and then you can look on there and they'll break down the evidence and kind of talk through it um, in terms of how strong the evidence is. Um, and then it depends how into nutrition you are, then you can sort of step it up. There's things like examine.com and Alinea Nutrition. You know, they're fantastic for, for breaking down the evidence and um, coming out from a really critical angle. But it just depends, you know, how invested that person is in terms of nutrition. Is it just that they want to have a few messages on their feed or is it that they're really interested and they want to invest a bit more time into it? Yeah, absolutely. Um, one thing that you mentioned there, and, and for me, you know, I, I think it, it's it's a major red flag that, uh, you know, I, I think for, for the general population, it's quite easy to follow. And that is having particularly extreme views, because I, I find in, in nutrition, when it comes to, um, let's say, some of the more popular views on nutrition, and by popular, I don't mean the most scientifically accurate. I mean, the ones that seem to generate the most likes or the most interest or the most fanfare or controversy which is how social media runs um are they tend to be very very extreme views so what i look at them as, as being like black or white views um so uh, and just just to give an example of that one would be like the the high fat keto movement would say you know everything high fat is that's the way to go whereas you might have the high carb low fat movement uh, or the plant-based movement and they, they can almost be polar opposites um, but, you know, as, like, let's say individuals who are more familiar with the science, you know, we kind of realize that, let's say, the actual truth or, or the actual message within nutrition lies somewhere in the middle in that kind of gray area. Mm -hmm. um, I just wondered if you had any thoughts on, on kind of those, those extreme views that are out there in nutrition. Yeah, I mean, I absolutely agree with you that there's so many strong polarizing views in nutrition. And that's really what makes it so confusing for so many people. If you're seeing all these headlines or you're seeing like doctors and things promoting these certain kinds of eating, I can see why people would kind of cling to that and say, OK, well, this might this must be the right way of doing it. And I think we're kind of wired that way. We want simple answers. We want black and white. But nutrition is just more complex than that, as you were saying. And there's so much nuance and gray areas. Um, so, yeah, when it comes to these more extreme diets, I mean, we always have to think about the context. So there are some contexts where, you know, a keto diet 
has a lot of evidence to back it up in terms of um, you know, children with epilepsy who can't be treated with medication, then the keto diet is really useful in that context. Um, and I mean, even if we're talking about like weight management and things like that, different things do work for different people. But when we're thinking about on a bigger scale of population-based messages, it's absolutely, you know, it's more in the middle. It is the more moderation approach. Although that approach, it's it's not as easy to sell. Like it's not as sexy to talk about, you know, moderation and little bits of everything. Um, so yeah, so I, I think I think it can be really unhelpful to have these really extreme views. But again, we need to think about the why because if we're thinking about um, the plant-based approach, then maybe it's that somebody, you know, ethically or for environmental reasons, you know, maybe that's their choice and that's absolutely fine. And as long as they're able to balance out their diet and, you know, some people need extra support with that, um, then that's absolutely fine. So, yeah, we need to generally delve into it a little deeper and think about what are the motivations and, you know, what is the evidence? Because if somebody's doing something on a false belief, then that's an uninformed choice. And that's where I always think it's really important to, you know, because some of the messages can be quite controversial even to talk about on social media. So like dairy would be one, for example, with, you know, vegan movements um, becoming a lot more popular. I find that sometimes if I talk about the nutritional benefits of dairy, you know, that can get a lot of backlash. But mm -hmm. I just think it's really important to separate it out and say, you know, I absolutely respect your your ethics and your beliefs in terms of animal rights. Um, but I feel like it's my duty so that people can make an informed decision to spread the evidence-based messages about the nutrition related to that. No, absolutely. Um, and and you, what you said about it being difficult for people to think about these things when, so when we think about something as being black or white, as being, you know, polar opposites, it's very, very easy. You can get a message across much more easily to people by saying, this is the answer, okay? You just need to do this, or this is the answer. But whereas if you say, well, you could do this, you know, it depends on the context, blah, blah, blah. With that moderation aspect, it involves a lot more uh, cognitive power. You need to think about things a little bit more. Um, and like you said, it's not as sexy, unfortunately. Um, and there, is, there are also other issues with, that are not just diet-related or science-related. Um, and like you, you did mention the vegan movement. Um, but I, I find that in, in nutrition these days, we've got a lot of people who are... Um, treating their religion almost, uh, sorry, their diets almost like religions. Mm -hmm. um, and when that happens, just all um, critical thinking just goes out the window. Um, but one thing that I think is particularly interesting about you, so when, when we met, um, I remember you told me you were a vegetarian. Mm -hmm. And I didn't know that at all. Um, and I had been following you for quite a while. And I had seen plenty of your posts none of your posts had given me the indication that you were a vegetarian or, and I think that's really, really critical for people working as professionals in nutrition, that your own dietary practices shouldn't reflect the message that you put out. Um, if you know, because I, I find, you know, we, we're, we're living in a world uh, of social media where we've got, everybody is like, keto doctor or, um, Gary the vegan or something like that. And they've all got like an agenda that they seem to be pushing as opposed to be pushing science. And that's just one thing that I particularly like um, about you. And just to give somebody else a shout out, uh, Zach, uh, your intern um, is a fantastic example of that. Somebody who, um, Zach's a vegan and he will defend science, even if that science, you know, promotes or, or you know, shows that certain animal foods are absolutely fine. He will defend science 
to the end. And that's one thing that I think is absolutely fantastic about them. So it's great to see the two of you um, working together like that. Well, thank you. And I think, yeah, I absolutely agree. I mean, it's, it's really admirable that Zach is so evidence-based in that way. And it's something that I find really refreshing um, because a lot of the time, again, I think if we want to believe something, we, we can start to see things a certain way. But if we're just really careful in terms of, you know, how we're approaching things and being critical about it, um, I think I think it's really important to make that that distinction. So that's where you know, I'm always delighted when people don't know I'm vegetarian. And it's, you know, it's not something that I do promote or push because, you know, that, that's my own decision. But the messages I I encourage is based on the science in terms of nutrition. Fantastic. And, and I suppose that, that's a great place to kind of segue on to what I, I wanted to talk about was the communication of nutrition to people. And I suppose to start off, do you have any, let's say, kind of policies or philosophies when it comes to getting good information uh, across to people? Because obviously, um, you know, you, I know you write. Um, and uh, one thing you did mention, you write for the food medic as well, don't you? Yes, I do, yeah. Okay, so like you're 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 quite prolific um, in in the written form, but you also use Instagram, and Instagram um, as a means of getting messages across can be somewhat limited. So, what are your kind of thoughts on getting messages across more effectively, but still get yeah getting them across effectively? Yeah, I, I think this is a really interesting topic as well because, and it's something that I love about social media and communication on social media is just how wide your reach can be. Um, so, you know, when I started out and I was, I was saying the same things to clients one on one that I was saying on social media, but all of a sudden you can reach thousands of people. Um, so that's another, you know, massive plus point in terms of actually getting nutrition professionals online on social media, because we need we need as many as we can to spread the right message. Um, so in terms of the kind of how do you spread the message and things, I think different people will respond to different formats. So if you can, it's great to get a bit of a combination of. Um, you know, some visual posts with like infographics and things and um, some video, maybe audio, like in terms of podcasts and things, and then maybe some longer articles as well. I do enjoy doing the longer articles. So like I do for the Food Medic Education Hub. And because I, do, I just really enjoy, I suppose, delving into a little bit more detail, but still trying to communicate it in a user friendly way, because then it's much easier to distill that kind of message into an even shorter message. Um, because you do have to get that balance. I know we we're talking about um, the, the nuances and how complex nutrition science is, but we do have to simplify it as well to a degree so that people can actually understand it. Um, so what I often do is I actually try and think of like a specific person. So write this post or this image and think about, you know, your auntie or your neighbor or whoever it is. And just if you're explaining it to them, what kind of words would you use? Um, and that helps to make it a little bit less complex and it's a little bit more kind of digestible, pun intended. And um, so, yeah, so that's one of the things that I think is good. Um, I also think, I mean, storytelling is a really effective way of communicating. Um, so again, even like this kind of conversation we're having right now, I mean, you can do that in terms of posts as well, or you can incorporate um, images and um, using humor and kind of showing your own personality and things. So obviously, as a health professional, though, there is that fine line between how much of your life and your personality do you show and your professionalism. So I feel like that line is getting a little bit blurred. Um, so it's, yeah, it can be a tightrope to walk sometimes. No, I, I, I completely agree. Um, I initially, like I, and you probably felt the same way at some point, I wondered whether I should have a completely separate um, Instagram for um, 
for my own life, my real life, um, and just a, a separate, you know, my my own like account for nutrition purposes alone. But um, yeah, it does become blurred, and you know, I I just I just keep them together for um, ease. And basically, everything I talk about really is nutrition. Um, and all the posts I do are about food, so that's technically nutrition, even if it's just the food that I want to eat myself, and it may not be of particularly good nutritional value. It's something that I enjoy, so that's why it goes up there. Yeah, um, that shows real life and normal eating as well, rather than this like perfect Instagram view of things, which isn't real. So I think that's actually really important. No, and and that's another message that I think is 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 really really important because I I do see a lot of accounts um so like i'll follow accounts just for the sake just to see okay this is interesting they have a lot of followers what's going on here um and i'll see a lot of them and you would swear that their diet is and i'm I'm saying this very very much in in birth commas because i do not believe any diets but you'd swear their diet is perfect not that there is a perfect diet um but you know everything is completely organic, and they're eating acai bowls every day, every day. And you know, you you begin to wonder, like, do you re- live a real life at all? Like, do you go out with friends? Do you enjoy yourself? Do you ever feel like, oh God, I'd, I'd like an onion ring? You know, yeah. <laughs> exactly, yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah, I think that's where it gets disjoint for a lot of people, and I think that's doing a, a big disservice to people in. Um, in general, just on, on social media, because then they begin to think, oh, maybe I should be eating like this. Maybe I should be, you know, eating perfectly. And then, you know, when people realize that there, there's no way to eat perfectly, it's it's a lot better for them, um, I think. Absolutely. Uh, it takes the pressure off. And it just, you know, because if we think of, it's like we're talking about nutrition messages. If we think of food as black and white, as in good or bad, then that's really bad for a relationship with food in terms of, you know, start to feel guilty then for foods and then it can just really start to unbalance things and um, so i think that's a really important message oh absolutely and i i i won't speak on your behalf but like just just from my own experience that was something that i needed to get over myself was like having a poor relationship with food where you think some foods are good and some foods are bad and it does mess with somebody's head and i and you know that's probably one of the reasons that we have you know this let's say this increase in the number of people who are suffering from from eating disorders and just just on the on the topic of eating disorders mm-hmm. so from a, a dietitian's perspective what are some of the let's say the strategies that are being used regularly now in in dietetics to kind of help people get over you know those poor food relationships that they may have developed yeah so it'll depend on the type of eating disorder and the severity um, so if we're talking about like maybe binge eating disorder um, and it's or maybe orthorexia um, and it depends even within that you have, you know, clinical binge eating disorder, you have subclinical, then you have disordered eating. So it's all a spectrum. So it will depend if somebody is uh, maybe on the less restricted end of the spectrum, it can be enough to educate around really what we're talking about in terms of, you know, foods aren't black and white. You can have everything within a balanced diet. We have some foods that we should have more of than others, but actually it's really important for our quality of life and for socializing and things to have that element of flexibility. Um, And that's something actually that I talk about in my book that I'll be releasing soon. Um, And that's one of my key messages around food should complement your life, not dominate your life. Um, so having that that element of flexibility really important then if we if it's maybe on the more extreme end if it's like a clinical eating disorder so say maybe binge eating disorder 
in that case, it's important to have psychological support as well as nutrition support. Um, and in some cases, medical support in terms of monitoring levels of um, bloods and things like that. And especially if it's something like maybe anorexia, bulimia, um, that's where there are certain you know, bloods you have to keep a really close eye on. And then again, yeah, it will, it will really depend on the case. But um, say for binge eating disorder, um, a lot of the, the dietary focus is on regulating eating. Um, and, you know, that's where um, intuitive eating um, is being used a lot more because it's taken the focus away from body image and away from restriction. And it can help to break that binge eating cycle if you, you know, you take away the guilt around binging or around eating certain foods. And then you also take away the restriction element um, and then that can start to really balance things out. If it's something like a maybe severe anorexia, then that can be like a very specific eating plan where somebody is gradually building up their intake. They might be an inpatient, they might be tube fed. Um, so it can really vary depending on the type and the severity. Um, one thing that you mentioned there um, was intuitive eating. And just for anybody who might not be familiar with what intuitive eating, would you be able to give us a little bit of an idea of, of what it is and what it entails? Yeah, so intuitive eating, um, it's this, it's an approach to eating. Um, it was invented by two dietitians in America. Um, there's a really good book if you're interested, Intuitive Eating um, by Evelyn Trebol and I forget her second name, Satcher, I think it is. Um, so if you look up just intuitive eating, it's, it's the main book that comes up. Or if you go intuitiveeating.org, um, there's loads of information on there. And basically it's, a, it's an approach to eating where you focus on your internal cues in terms of your hunger and fullness rather than external cues. So rather than um, looking at you know, like meal plans and you know, tracking calories and tracking movement and all those kinds of things, it's trying to tap into your internal satiety, so your fullness and your hunger cues. Um, and it's around trying to dissociate from diet culture and um, so this, you know, society, a lot of the messages that we get about, um, you know, are worth being associated with our weight and um, feeling that we have to shrink ourselves or we have to have a perfectly sculpted body or those kind of messages. Um, it's moving away from that, working on improving body image um, working on like mindful eating. So one of the steps, so it's a 10 step process. It's actually quite a specific process. Um, and one of the steps in there would be mindful eating. So it's all around really um Eating so it's satisfying. So part of that is it kind of ties into what we were saying about the whole, you know, no such thing as good or bad foods and all foods can play a role in the diet. And part of that can be that, you know, maybe foods that have are higher in fat or sugar or salt, you know, obviously they're really tasty. So in small amounts, that can be fine. But also, you know, even our high fiber foods and proteins and fats are really satisfying foods as well. Um, so so that's kind of part of it. And then it also brings in mindful movement. So it's again, it's not moving for a specific body type or shape. It's around moving to feel good and for all the other health benefits that we get from movement. Um, and then the very last step of the process is gentle nutrition. So it's bringing in um, eating well for health, but focusing bigger picture. So it's focusing on your overall health and well-being rather than just pinpointing in on your weight. Fantastic. So I, I've, I've heard of the complexity of, of intuitive eating. It's not something that I've looked into myself, but um, it is something that I'm, I'm, I definitely want to look more into because it, it does seem to be gaining a lot of traction um, 
you know, at least in, in social media circles anyway, um, and particularly in things like the, the haze, the health of the every size uh, movement as well. Um, and I'm very, very interested to, to look into it more. And you've kind of just given me a little bit more um, uh, of a, let's say, a reason to, to look into it now. So I appreciate that. And just for anybody out there, uh, it's intuitiveeating.org. That's what you said. Yeah. And also, um, if you follow Laura Thomas, PhD on Instagram, she's fantastic. And she runs the London Centre for Intuitive Eating. Um, and they do training courses and have information for the public and for health professionals. Um, so, yeah, there's, there's a lot of good info out there. Fantastic. Um, so you obviously mentioned at the start um, of the conversation that uh, you've made a, a bit of a movement uh, or a transition, let's say, on to, to working more online. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm just just wondering, do you find, are there any, because obviously I, I, I work online myself and most of my, let's say, career has been working online. I've done a little bit of kind of in-person work. Um, I'm just wondering, have you found, what have been some of the main challenges that you've had to, to deal with in making that transition? Yeah, so definitely pros and cons in terms of working online. Um, so overall, I love it. But some of the, the more challenging things would have been, um, I guess, around your daily routine to begin with. Um, because I'd be one of those people who, you know, like loves a lion. And I'm, I think I'm the night elf phenotype, so I can easily sort of move over into like late nights, late mornings. Um, so then yeah so and even just in terms of maybe if you're extra focused so it can go either way sometimes you're too focused on things and you're just sitting all day working um and you know in the one position which isn't good for your back or you know you're just not getting enough movement and um, some of those kind of practical things um and also then in terms of switching off so i guess ever since i've been a consultant freelance dietitian the lines between work and home have been a lot more blurred because you know when I was working in the NHS, for example, I couldn't access my email from home. It was, you know, you clock in at 8.30, you leave at 4.30 and that's it. And you sort of leave work at work. Um, that doesn't really happen anymore. You can get emails or social media messages all times of the day. Um, I mean, which is great because you have that flexibility and things. But at the same time, you do need to set boundaries and limits as well so that you don't burn out. Um, so they'd be some of the more, the challenges, I guess. Um, and then in terms of actually making the switch from working with clients, for example. Um, some of the differences in terms of communication will be something to consider. So, you know, I found it originally easier when you're building a rapport and getting to know somebody face-to-face just because you can interpret the body language more. Um, and you, I don't know, you just tend to have a bit more small talk and things. But I think it's like anything, the more practice you get, um, it does become a lot more natural working online, working through a screen. Um, and overall, I think, you know, the benefits in terms of flexibility, in terms of, um, you know, eventually after lockdown life, possibly being able to travel, those kinds of things, um, or, you know, working from the locations that you want to work in, they're the massive benefits for me. And they, for me, they outweigh any of those challenges. And I think for me anyway, again, a lot of the challenges can be overcome by practice and by getting in good routines and setting boundaries. Um, so, yeah, that'd be my thoughts. I'm I'm just curious. So obviously, if, if if you worked originally as an NHS dietitian, um, all of your patients would have been referred to you. So that's um, let's say kind of a major aspect of of working with clients that's taken off your plate. So you, you don't need to worry about it. working kind of freelance right now. How do you go about um, let's say promoting yourself to people or kind of establishing yourself in a particular niche? 
Um, so you're, you don't have to feel, you know, you don't have to feel like that. You're constantly trying to promote yourself to people. Yeah, actually, that's a really good point as well, because that would be one of the big differences. Um, so I think at the moment, and I guess for, for most freelance dietitians, nutritionists, um, you know, trying to have a few different income streams. So you wouldn't just have kind of one thing that you focus on. So you might have one niche, but having, you know, some writing, some consultancy, some client work, um, that can be helpful because then you're you're not putting all your eggs in one basket basically um so so that's what i do you know i have bits of consultancy writing and then see clients on a few days a week um in terms of promotion most of my promotion is on social media that's where i would get most of my referrals and clients from and then the more established you get then word of mouth sort of helps as well um so and then i guess it depends where you're based as well so i found um like in dublin for example and, um, you know, some people, some dietitians would have connections or they would maybe, um, you know, like GPs would know them and they'd know them when they refer their clients to them. They get good results and that kind of thing. And um, so people set up links that way as well. So, yeah, but I think I mean, social media for me has been massive in terms of kind of promotion and getting the word out there. Um, was there anything in particular that you really, really think helps to kind of um, start off? you know, your, your kind of the growth of your page on, on social media? Yeah, I mean, hard to tell. I remember when I started it and I got to like 500 and I was absolutely buzzing. <laughs> we kind of increased from there. Um, I think the networking piece can be really helpful. So networking with other nutrition professionals and I mean, doing stuff like this, you know, going on lives and podcasts and things um, to kind of get your messages out there, get your face out there. Um, and then some of the opportunities that came my way, so like writing for the food medic, for example, you know, that definitely had a big impact. Um, so I guess it's taking any opportunity that comes your way and also um, trying to create opportunities in terms of networking with other people. Um, and yeah, if there's, I mean, if there's other kind of pages that have similar messages to you and things like that, you know, it's great to kind of set up a link and, um, you know, I'd be in like different smaller groups with dietitians and that kind of thing as well. Um, yeah, I, I think you definitely, it's something you definitely need to work on. Um, and it's, it's not something that's just going to kind of fall, uh, into your, into your lap. Um, yeah. so yeah, like, like you said, not putting all of your eggs in one basket and then just constantly, I'm, I'm going to say this, I absolutely hate this word, but I'm going to say it now because it almost feels appropriate. You kind of need to hustle a bit. I feel dirty just saying that right now. Um, but like, yeah. You get what I'm. You get what I'm saying. Like you, you need to work on a lot of different things. To, oh, I feel disgusting. Let's just have the podcast. <laughs> no, it's so true. And um, and I guess again, it's like, I guess you know, being that reliable source for your audience as well, in terms of you know being consistent and um, sharing your reliable messages and you know responding to comments and everything. Um, but I think one of the best bits of advice that I got because. I think you can get too caught up in thinking about like, okay, what time of day do I need to post and what's the algorithm doing with this and that? And if you start to do any courses around that, it can just fry your brain. And one of the best bits of advice that I got from my partner who would know about SEO and how all the tech works is really, you know, focus on the content. And if you're sharing good quality content that your audience wants to see, so you're answering a question for somebody, that's one of the best things you can do. And for me, that took loads of pressure off because, you know, not being a technical expert myself, you know, it can feel really overwhelming thinking like, you know, how do I kind of do this whole social media thing? 
Um, but once you get some of the basics covered in terms of um, like, how do I make an image or, you know, how do I share something in my bio and all these things, um, then most of it really is about just working on your message, making it clear, making it relatable. And then, you know, the audience will come and then, you know, it depends again, like if you're niching down and you're focusing on something really specific, then there's loads of benefits to that as well. And you might have a smaller audience, but it might be like a really engaged audience. Um, so there's pros and cons there. No, I, I, I really like that, that approach, um, you know, just focus on the content because like you said, you could absolutely drive yourself insane trying to, to worry about um, the, the mysterious algorithm. Yeah. Um, and like I did for, for quite a while. And sometimes it's still very, very difficult for me to kind of separate um, the, the way I operate from that. Um, I, I did get to a point a while back where I just said, look, I just want to put out content that I enjoy myself that I think is interesting. So I'm just, at the moment, I'm just putting out stuff. I think that's cool. I'm going to put that out. Um, and everybody else, if you don't like it, tough. Um, but uh, you brought up the SEO thing. And that, that's another thing that I really want to get into because um, obviously recently you set up uh, Nutrimod. And I was wondering if you could just tell us a little bit about what Nutrimod is and how it works. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so Nutrimod, it's a hub for nutrition professionals. So Nutrimod.com is our website. And we have a Facebook group, Nutrimote, the Remote Nutrition Hub. And uh, we have an Instagram as well. And basically, it was this idea that myself and my partner, Anthony, came up with. And um, it was when I was deciding that, you know, I really want to be back working online fully. I was looking at different jobs, opportunities, resources, and it just felt really lacking. It felt like there was, you know, lots of useful individual pieces, but it kind of wasn't all together. Um, so I was like, oh, I wish there was just this hope where it was all together. So that's what we were like, well, why don't we make it then? Because he has the technical experience and I have the, the experience as a dietitian and working remotely as a dietitian. So that's where we got the idea for Nutrimote. Um, we didn't plan. It probably wouldn't be up and running now if it wasn't for this whole lockdown situation. Um, because I was putting on the back burner, I was procrastinating and I was like, oh, we'll do that, you know, at the end of the year or something. Um, but then it, it actually just felt like it was the right time because so many nutrition professionals have to quickly make a switch to working online, providing telehealth, those kinds of things. Um, so it felt like actually this advice and these resources will probably be useful for people. So we thought, okay, like, let's just go for it and just gradually build it up. Um, so that's what we're doing really. So we're, you know, we've got the, the website, we've got a newsletter. Um, and one of the things, so when people sign up to the newsletter, they get um, a free CPD resource and it's about all different online CPD resources and places to go for information for nutrition professionals. Um, and then in the Facebook group, um, at the moment, we're doing a weekly live session. So yeah, this week, Anthony covered an introduction to SEO and we've covered tips around telehealth and marketing. Um, so yeah, we're kind of we're, we're building that up um, and I find it really enjoyable because I'm learning loads as well because it's a community um, and that's something that I enjoy in terms of when I started dietetically speaking as well you know it was a hobby for me to learn more as well because if I need to research something to write an article about it or to teach someone else then I learn so much more myself than if I was just looking it up for myself um, so that's what I find with Nutrimote as well that I'm learning loads about the the online world and all the the technical side of things um just just to give people a, a bit of an idea um of, of kind of what would be available to them on Nutrimode, like uh, obviously you know you you've you mentioned some of the CBD, cbd resources just could you mention a couple of those without giving too much away and like could you talk about some of the other resources that you guys provide 
Yeah, absolutely. Um, so yeah, as I said, we're kind of building it up. So we'll be we'll be adding to it um, basically on an ongoing basis. But at the moment in the CPD resource, um, it links to, um, I, I actually, you know, I listed all the ones that I use myself, but then I asked a lot of my colleagues as well, you know, is there any other resources? Um, so some of the ones I mentioned, so um, like Examine and Examine Reader's Digest, um, Alinea Nutrition, um, and then some of the CPD hubs as well. So like the CNPD for the Complete Nutrition Magazine, um, NHD CPD hub as well. Um, and then like lists of different podcasts and things like that. Um, so I think it's maybe the whole document is like maybe four or five pages or something. And then it has um, some templates in there in terms of like tracking your CPD as well. Um, and then other resources we have at the moment on the website, we have a section around clinical tools. Um, so some of that is around um, like telehealth and different um, like different platforms and software and things that you can use. Um, I have one around content creation. So that's around um, different platforms like maybe, you know, Canva for design and um, like different places you can go to see if your images are accessible. So if your color contrast is strong enough um, and then like writing apps, so like Hemingway and uh, Grammarly and all those. So, um, so I've got loads of different content creation resources there. I've got business management, business management section um, and that's because I guess a lot of remote nutrition professionals end up basically being freelance or running their own business so I thought that was useful as well um, and then more recently myself and a dietitian called Emily um, we've released a toolkit for nutrition professionals um, and it's around telehealth specifically so Emily has loads of experience in telehealth and then you know I've been working in telehealth for a while now as well so we basically, again, wanted to have this toolkit where basically start to finish, it's everything that we wished we, know, we knew before we started. And um, so we have like flowcharts and advice around software and GDPR and different templates and advice around marketing and things. Um, and actually, that's a good one to mention because that's only on sale until Sunday. Um, and then we're closing the doors because... For a week after that, we're going to open a private Facebook group to go through the toolkit. So every day we're going to have a half an hour Facebook Live to go through the toolkit in a bit more detail. Fantastic. And for anybody who's a nutrition professional out there, um, I would just say, please, please, please check out Nutrimod. Um, because what, what you said there, Maeve, is, is vitally important. And you, you can, uh, in that it's stuff that you've learned through a process of trial and error. And yes. for somebody who is starting out, it makes such a difference. Because I know for, for a fact, I am not interested in all of the businessy side of things, but I need to be. Um, and it's nice to have those resources there available for me to go, like, okay, I need this, this, and this, and this. I didn't know any of these things existed. Fantastic. Um, oh, I'm so glad yeah. um, and I also I like the way it's a community because you know we're a lot of us are in a similar boat or some people in the group maybe know more about the businessy side and other people know more about the tech or the design um, so we can all support each other too um, and as if all of this that we've spoken about uh, so far wasn't uh, that impressive something you mentioned earlier on that I wanted to get back to is you're releasing a book very soon aren't you yes I am um, so it's a book I wrote and um, it's called Your No-Nonsense Guide to Eating Well. And um, it basically, it touches on a lot of the things we were talking about in terms of my approach to um, nutrition communication and things. So it's all, um, it's aimed at the general public, but nutrition professionals might find it interesting as well, just in terms of 
how I get my messages across and things. Um, and there's also this 50 meal ideas at the end of the book that might be useful too. Um, so basically it goes through kind of step by step my top 10 tips for eating well. And then it goes into tips for shopping and meal preparation and putting meals and snacks together. And then a bit around the kind of the mindset, the food philosophy side of things. Um, coming back to that message about being a food realist rather than a food perfectionist. Um, it's something that I'll be looking forward to, to seeing more of myself. When is it getting released? Hopefully soon. Um, I thought it would be released by now. Um, so hopefully maybe next week or the week after. Um, basically the ebook is ready to go but when I asked most people wanted the physical version and um, we're just waiting on that to actually be delivered so we can just do you know the final proofread basically um, so hopefully in the near future and I'll send you a link when it's all done please do um, everybody likes like the people who like books like having an actual book in their hand and I completely, yes. uh, completely agree with that um, so yeah wait, like hopefully that'll be released soon and um, for anybody listening I'll be including a link um, to the book uh, in uh, in our show notes here so you'll be able to find it um, Maeve we've spoken about a lot today and we, we've kind of we've, we've run the, the whole gamut of, of everything that we can talk about in, in nutrition um, but uh, just for anybody who like I know you mentioned earlier but for anybody who, who isn't already following you and they want to do that um, uh, how are some of the best ways to, to do that yeah so Instagram is probably the main place I use for dietetically speaking. So at dietetically speaking, it's a bit of a mouthful. Um, you can search for my name either. I'm the only Maeve Hannan in the world. That's spelled H-A-N-A-N for my second name. Um, the website as well, dietetically.speaking.com. On Twitter, I'm at dietetic.speak. Um, and then, yeah, if you're interested in Nutrimote, it's nutrimote.com and the Facebook group for Nutrimote. If you just if you look up N-U-T-R-I-M-O-T-E on Facebook, then the group should come up. Fantastic. Um, and anybody, if you're not following Maeve already, please, please do. Put out fantastic content. Um, and she's just fun to talk to, uh, as you've all uh, uh, heard right now. Um, so, Maeve, I wanted to say thank you uh, again so much for, for joining me tonight. I really, really appreciate it. Um, and hopefully we'll get a chance to uh, talk to you again soon. Yes, thanks so much for having me on. Absolutely. Have a great evening, okay? You too. Bye. Thank you so much for tuning into this episode of the Health Scientist Podcast. I really hope you've enjoyed and maybe even learned something from what we've spoken about today. And if you did, I'd love it if you could leave a rating or a review on iTunes or whatever podcast app you use, or maybe even share a link on social media, in your Instagram stories, Facebook, Twitter, even LinkedIn. It really helps spread word of the podcast, which means I can continue to get great guests to speak about different topics in health, which means more content for you. It really means a huge amount to me personally too. If you ever want to watch one of the podcasts live or ask questions to any of the guests, you can do so by following me on Instagram at be more nutrition. That's at B underscore more underscore nutrition. And I'd love to hear your comments and feedback about the podcast. So please comment on the podcast post or feel free to drop me a message directly. And if you ever have a suggestion for a guest that you'd like to hear, please do let me know. I'll be back soon with another podcast. See you then.